Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, it's just me. Yes, it is a mailbag show. But before we get to your mailbag questions, which are mostly about the trade deadline and the trades that did not happen, I'm going to start by breaking down some of the trades that did happen yesterday during the trade deadline and give my thoughts on those. Obviously, that's the big news of the week. Also, the Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler firing in Las Vegas, which I wrote about at length for ESPN Today. It's a free article you can check out on ESPN.com. Mostly leave my thoughts there on the McDaniels situation. But let's talk about some of these trades because some very interesting decisions made around the NFL. And we'll start with the biggest trade of the day, which was surprisingly, and yet maybe not surprisingly, given what they did last year, the Chicago Bears going out and getting Montez Sweat from the Commanders for their 2024 second round pick. And very similar, at least in terms of structure and theory, to the Chase Claypool trade we saw a year ago, where the Bears traded a second round pick, assuming that Claypool was going to be the best receiver available to them, that he would be better than any of the receivers who were available as free agents, better than any of the receivers who were available in the draft, chose to add Claypool to their roster, and it went about as poorly as possible. Claypool was a mess. He was basically a replacement level player, was traded to the Dolphins for a late round pick after the season. Now, yes, let's acknowledge that not every player is going to be Chase Claypool. Montez Sweat is a better player than Chase Claypool. He's also an older player. Sweat is, I believe, 27, will turn 28 next year. So nothing wrong with getting a player at that age, but not a player who we would assume is going to be ascending over the next few years. He's probably at his peak right now. So the Bears made this trade for a player in Sweat who is about to be an unrestricted free agent. Now, by trading for Sweat, the Bears accomplish a couple things. Number one, they get the Sweat for the rest of the season, which is not really too important. The Bears are not a good team. They're not going to be a good team with Sweat. They'll be a little better. Sweat's a good player. They needed pass rush help, but they're not making this trade, obviously, for 2023. This is for 2024 and beyond, which means the Bears are going to have to either franchise tag Montez Sweat, which would be prohibitively expensive, but not impossible. I guess prohibitively is the wrong word because the Bears have a lot of cap space, but certainly expensive without committing any long-term money or give Sweat a long-term contract. Sweat's going to have a lot of leverage with that deal. The Bears, of course, just traded a significant draft pick to acquire him. Sweat is a good player, and the Bears clearly traded for him thinking, we're not going to be able to get him in free agency. So if Sweat's agents are any good, and I assume they are, they're going to ask for a premium. Sweat could easily command more than $20 million a year. I think you're looking at probably something in the range of 25 would be my guess. I look at the um, the Max Crosby extension, which was four years, $94 million. That was $23.5 million per year back in 2022. I think Sweat is a similar uh, at a similar point of his career relative to where Crosby was. And Crosby's gotten better, of course, since that uh, since that situation, I think Crosby had much less leverage, though, than Sweat did. Sweat does right now. So Sweat is going to be expensive. So basically, you're giving up a second-round pick for the privilege of paying Sweat a market value deal. And 
what makes this so tough for me as an analyst, even leaving the Claypool deal aside, is that there's a certain level of confidence that goes into this. And I talked about this at length on a podcast earlier this year, where I, I gave one of my little speeches about Claypool and the the confidence and certainty you have in going for one particular player and not trusting that you're going to find something in the market. Remember, Claypool was that guy the Bears had to get because there were no better options coming up in the market. Well, as it turned out, there were better options that became available. DeAndre Hopkins got cut. Adam Thielen, who I don't think is necessarily the right player for the Bears, but has been very productive this year, got cut. DJ Moore became available via trade. The Bears traded for him, of course, with the first overall pick in last year's draft. Now, on top of that, you look at some of the free draft picks who became available for the Bears, who would have been available in the second round or would have been available after the second round. Guys like Jonathan Mingo, Rashi Rice, Marvin Mims, Tank Dell, Jalen Hyatt, Josh Downs, Puka Nakua. Nakua may be maybe not as explosive outside of the Rams offense, but all those guys were available in the second round. And the Bears used their pick instead to trade for Claypool. That pick became the 32nd pick in the draft, basically a first rounder. The Steelers used that pick on Joey Porter Jr., who's looked great in a small sample so far this season. Now, of course, second-round picks are not sure things, but you are paying such a premium with that second-round pick. You're you're basically saying, we're giving up a cost-controlled asset, uh, a pick that we've seen teams quantify in the $15 to $20 million range in years past. It's certainly worth more now, probably closer to $25 million a year. You're giving that up. For the difference between Sweat and the best available edge rusher you can get in free agency. Is someone as good as Sweat likely to go to the Bears in free agency? Probably not. I know that Daniel Hunter is going to be a free agent. I can tell you that free agents typically go for whatever the biggest contract is. We saw Julius Peppers famously go to the Bears in free agency several years ago. I guess a decade ago now. I'm very old. But not impossible to think the Bears will add a meaningful player as an edge rusher in free agency. Remember, not only are there going to be guys like Hunter out there right now whose contracts are coming up, but guys are going to be released. They could get someone like Chase Young, who we're going to talk about in a second, to be an edge rusher for them. And of course, the Chickley Claypool example reminds us that even though draft picks don't always pan out, veteran players, the sure things we're acquiring don't always pan out. Montez Sweat might not be a great player away from Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Chase Young and all the, the people up front for the commanders. He might just be an okay player and making a massive contract and giving up a second round pick to get him is going to be a net negative for the Bears. If you look at the Cleo Mack trade where the Bears give up a ton of draft capital for a true star and it kind of ended up being a lose-lose. Mack was great that first year, very good over the course of his tenure with the Bears, but was being paid an exorbitant sum of money, cost the Bears multiple first round picks. Not sure that really ended up as a victory for Ryan Pace when things were all said and done. So I just want to see the Bears learn from their mistakes. It's one thing to make the Claypool trade last year. Clearly, it was a disaster. It looked bad at the time, looked way worse a year later. I just don't understand why the Bears felt like they had to get this one particular player right now. There's a chance that Clay, that Sweat goes to free agency, that he, isn't, that he would have been traded somewhere else and not sign with the team. Maybe the commanders wouldn't have traded him if they weren't going to get a second round pick. Maybe 
they'll be disappointing with the new team and they'll move on. Maybe someone else will hit the market who's just as good or better or a little worse, but still very good relative to Montez Sweat. I think this is a the, the amount of certainty the Bears are placing in getting this one particular player on the edge is too much for me, given how much they had to pay to get that player. A great deal for the commanders. And even if Sweat pans out, I think he has to be an absolute superstar for this deal to make sense in 2024, 2025, and 2026 for the Chicago Bears. Commanders were not done making moves after the Sweat trade. About an hour later, they traded away their other starting edge rusher in Chase Young, who went to the Niners for a third-round pick. Now, this did not make the Bears giving a second-rounder a high second-rounder, most likely given their record. Chase Young has been a more productive player this year. I know people have said Montez Sweat's a better run defender. Maybe he is. I I don't think either of these teams are making moves. They could upgrade their run defense at defensive end, if I'm being honest with you. I think... That is a thing where Montez Sweat's probably better, but I also think that that's a thing that's been highlighted or highlighted to an extent over the past 24 hours to justify the gap in trade value between these two guys. I don't know if that really holds up. Why did Chase Young go for a late third round pick as opposed to a high second round pick? Well, I have to assume it is the injuries. Chase Young suffered a very serious knee injury, cost him most of 2021 and 2022, but what have you done for me lately? And what Chase Young has done lately is be healthy and play very good football. He's eighth in the NFL in hurries this season per ESPN stats and info. So signs that he's been productive. Not only that, he's playing 84% of the defensive snaps. So I understand the reticence to give him a long-term contract. I think given the complicated knee injury, if the, the commanders really were waiting until the result of the Eagles game to start shopping their players around would have been tough to get the sort of confidence you need with a, a a sort of young extension to get this deal done. And that probably capped his market, but man, what an exciting move for the 49ers who get Chris Kasurik, a guy who was one of the best pass rush prospects we've ever seen coming out of Ohio state. He re teams up with Nick Bosa. The Niners add another piece to their edge rushing rotation, which now has Bosa, Randy Gregory, who was uh, acquired for a late round pick, and Chase Young to go with Clellan Farrell, Drake Jackson, and then on the interior, of course, Javon Hargrave and Arik Armstead. The Niners defense has not been great this year. It's been good uh, earlier in the season, struggled in recent weeks. Of course, famously, Steve Wilkes blitzed on that play that set up the Jordan Addison touchdown uh, in that Monday night game at the end of the first half a couple weeks ago. I, I think they're going to be just fine. And I think we're going to look back at this deal as a relative bargain for the 49ers. We're going to talk about Chase Young and the compensatory pick situation in a minute when we get to the mailbag. But essentially, the Niners are trading him for traded a, a late third round pick, I believe one of their compensatory selections to acquire Young. And good chance if they let him go, they will pick up some sort of compensatory pick in return. Don't think the Bears would. And we'll get to why in the mailbag as well. Otherwise, relatively quiet deadline, all things considered. The most notable move might have been the Vikings trading a swap of late round picks for Joshua Dobbs, which I love. Obviously, Joshua Dobbs had fallen out of favor in Arizona. He'd just been benched for Clayton Toon. Kyler Murray is about to come back. Dobbs has struggled here and there, certainly. Um, you know, he, he didn't play well last week. 
Uh, he has had some hiccups, but he's been fine as a quarterback. He's mobile. You can work off of play action, has a big arm, seems to be a leader, a guy who's smart, learns quickly. Exactly what the Vikings need right now, given the the lack of quarterbacks on their depth chart post Jaron Hall. So I do think that Dobbs makes sense as an addition. It's going to take him a couple of weeks to go in the playbook. Don't think he can be in the offense for more than a, you know, a situational role this Sunday. Maybe he could start next week. They're getting Nick Mullins back in week 10. So that's going to be part of their their quarterback calculus as well. But this is a very reasonable addition for a very low cost. I'm, I'm surprised the Cardinals were not more aggressive in shopping some of their players as they're tanking but not tanking through the end of 2023. Guys like Marquise Brown, um, I know he's injured, but James Conner at running back, um, even Buda Baker, let's say even Collins could be on the move, but Dennis Garda could be on the move. Zach Ertz, again, who's hurt, um, didn't go out anywhere. Uh, I, I was surprised they were not more aggressive in trying to acquire draft picks to move away some talent. I think a lot of teams are a little surprised we're not more aggressive trying to get rid of talent, but thought the Dobbs move made sense. The Vikings also traded Ezra Cleveland to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which gives them some depth at guard um, with the Vikings moving Dalton Risner, who they signed earlier this year into the starting lineup, but relatively quiet and, and I think a very logical trade deadline otherwise. Not really many moves were you were too shocked by what happened outside of the decision for the Bears, the one of the worst teams in football, to go out and acquire a pending free agent who is also a rental. I know the the contrast between Young and Sweat, where that, that Young's going to be a rental. Sweat is also a rental. He is a free agent after the season, and whatever the Bears pay for him after this year is going to be the market value. So uh, just because they are probably going to sign him to an extension does not mean that he is not a rental. You are paying the full sticker price the moment after this contract ends at the end of the year. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Those are the three or four biggest moves of the trade deadline. I want to get to some of your questions because a lot of the questions here in the mailbag are not about trades that happened, but trades that didn't happen or teams who didn't make a move. Uh, trying to understand why these teams did not do maybe what we were expecting. We're not more aggressive at the deadline to add talent. And so I'm going to hit a lot of your questions here in the mailbag. A really good set of questions today. Uh, thanks so much for sending these over on Twitter. Have a bunch of them here to hit. One of which I'll start with is from my friend Alan Seppenwall, the excellent, incredible TV critic over at Rolling Stone has written some great books, including uh, the, the excellent book on The Sopranos that we had him talk about on this show. If you're a fan of Sopranos, Breaking Bad, um, NYPD Blue, which he he cut his teeth writing about, gosh, 20 years ago now, probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, if you like TV, if you're a TV obsessive, Alan is 
to me, the best TV recapper on the planet. Definitely recommend checking out his work. He's also a big Giants fan. And so Alan asked me, did Joe Shane pull a Gettleman by refusing to even consider Saquon trade offers? Would the return have likely been too low to jettison the one functional part of the Giants offense? Or do you think John Mara is meddling again? Alan is very smart. He has not only asked me a smart question, he's basically given my answer. I, I do believe both those things are true. I think from ownership's perspective, they do not want to trade the most popular player on the Giants roster, given how terrible this team has been all year. I know that this is a, a going nowhere team. The offensive excitement that was there heading into the season is gone, even with Daniel Jones coming back this week. Uh, the Giants are going to have to make changes after the year. I don't think they're going to fire anybody, um, but I do think they're going to have to make additions to their offensive playmaker. I think the decisions they made this offseason were half measures that did not work. And I don't know if Saquon's future is with the team. I think it's fair to wonder whether he's going to be back in 2024. Um, his numbers are down. The Giants did not want to give him a second franchise tag as part of a guarantee last year. He's missed time with a high ankle sprain. Um, but at the same time, like if you watch the Giants play, he's clearly the most valuable player on that offense who's been healthy. So I do believe that Mary did not want to trade Saquon Barkley. And I do believe that the market would not have bore a significant return for Saquon Barkley. There were so many players, so many running backs who could have been dealt at this trade deadline. Derrick Henry could have been on the market maybe before Will Levis's incredible game on Sunday. Um, Dalvin Cook could have been on the market from the Jets. Zeke Elliott could have been on the market from the Cowboys. Zach Boss could have been on the market from the Colts. None of those guys move because there's just that many teams who need running backs and not many teams who want to pick up the sort of salary Saquon Barkley has that the Giants would force them to pick up as part of a deal. So if you're the Giants, are you going to pick up a significant portion of the five million or so or four million or so left on Saquon Barkley's deal just so you can get a mid-round pick from a team that's that's a tough sell so I think the Giants probably just said let's keep him on the roster for the rest of the year let's try to get Daniel Jones going and we'll evaluate Saquon for a possible second franchise tag after the season Ryan Fowler asks do you think the Lions should have or maybe could have gone bigger or is the more sensible route of not giving up a ton to add a decent receiver and bring DPJ home to Detroit enough to help them achieve their goals this year? So Brian alludes to one of the trades I did not mention uh, in the opening segment of the show. The Lions traded for Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy who I had talked about in my trade column as a likely candidate to be dealt. I had him going somewhere else. I didn't have him going to Detroit but a player who had fallen out of favor, who had 839 receiving yards last year for the Browns in a starting role this year with the addition of Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman. He's been buried on the depth chart. Only played 400, no, he's played 439 snaps, excuse me. He just has not been very, uh, not run many routes and only been targeted 18 times so far this season. So a lot of clear out routes for Donovan Peoples-Jones. So Detroit born and raised, Michigan graduate, comes back to Detroit to play for the Lions, who are in an interesting position on offense. So, of course, Detroit has Monroe St. Brown, who's awesome. They have guys like Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, who played meaningful roles. The DJ Chark role in the offense was supposed to be filled by Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams missed the first four games of the year with a gambling suspension. 
He returned to the roster after that suspension was commuted from six to four. He has a total of six catches for 71 yards. He does have a touchdown. He had an incredible catch against the Buccaneers, but this is becoming a concern. Jameson Williams did nothing last year as he recovered from a torn ACL. This is a guy who the Lions traded up to grab with the 12th overall pick in last year's draft. So far this season, limited impact on the roster. I think the guy we saw in college was super exciting. I think who could be a playmaker, exactly what they need in terms of having a bigger downfield threat off of play action for Jared Goff, but he's not that guy right now. And the Lions, frankly, have a team that can win right now. So I do believe that they thought they needed to add another receiver to their roster to protect against Williams not developing, Williams struggling, Williams getting injured, being unavailable. People's Jones made total sense, did not cost them very much. Understand the logic there. I do wish they had done something on defense, though. This defense is good, but imagine if they'd got another pass rusher next to Aiden Hutchinson. Imagine if they'd got another cornerback to help uh, fill the loss of um, Emmanuel Mosley and CJ Gardner Johnson. Mosley gone for the year. Gardner Johnson could be gone for the year, could be back later this year. I know the Lions are going to get James Houston back from a broken ankle. I know that they have their guys they like. John Kaminsky has looked good. Um, Charles Harris is a a very solid veteran, one of their first finds as they were rebuilding this roster. Um, just thought they could have made a bigger swing. I, I, I argued, advocated for them to get Daniel Hunter from the Vikings. Uh, maybe that was too much to ask, especially when the Vikings went on a winning streak. But could they have outbid the Niners for Chase Young? Sure would have liked to see it. Just, just my thoughts, but obviously... Um, Detroit doing a lot of things right, and they're going to be in great shape to win the NFC North either way in the months to come. Ryan Waddle asks about the Chiefs. Is regarding Kansas City's decision to stand pat, do you concur that the solution to their offensive issues is already on the roster? Yes and no. I, I think they believe their solution is on the roster. I think we're going to have to see if that plays out in reality when the season plays out. Uh, of course, there's some recency bias here. The Chiefs got shut down by, of all teams, the Denver Broncos. Really, twice in the last three weeks, the Chiefs did not have big offensive games against Denver, held to 28 points across two contests in October. In between, Chiefs had maybe their best offensive game of the year, 483 total yards. Mahomes went for 413, 424, 32 of 42 for 424 and four touchdowns as the quarterback against the Chargers. So a week ago, this was not an issue. And after the Broncos game now, it suddenly is an issue. I'm going to say this. The Chiefs are not going to turn the ball over five times very often over the course of the year. I know Patrick Mahomes has thrown a few more interceptions than you would hope this year, but don't think that is going to happen every single week. I think they lost four, five of, five of six fumbles or four or five fumbles in that game, in that loss to the Broncos. It's just not going to happen again. Now, do they need more wide receiver? I think so. I don't I don't love this group, but I can also sit here and tell you that the group was not great last year and they won a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes had Marquise Valdez Scantling and who was the other receiver in that game because they had so many injuries? Uh, it was Marcus Kemp. Marcus Kemp was the number two receiver for the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game because everyone else got hurt and it worked. MVS had a big game. 
and the Chiefs made it to the Super Bowl, and then we saw Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony in limited roles make impacts for touchdowns. They've already traded back from Nicole Hartman. I, I just think, you know, this Chiefs team is going to have to win in a different way. They're not going to win by by winning crazy shootouts the way they might have in years past. This is a much more balanced team. They're much better on defense. This is, I read about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the best Chiefs defense Mahomes has ever had. The offensive line is good. The running game with Isaiah Pacheco is very solid. I wish Andy Reid would, would commit to running the ball more, especially more, more gap runs, more power, uh, more counter, more duo, all the stuff that I think takes advantage of Isaiah Pacheco's physicality, the offensive line, the interior's physicality, doesn't ask those tackles that are kind of a mess to drop back, take some of the pressure off of Travis Kelsey as a receiver. I think all of those things lead me to think the Chiefs should run the ball more, even though it involves taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. But I, I don't think the Chiefs need to be an incredible passing attack and have incredible receivers to win a Super Bowl. We just saw it last year. I know that was with Kelsey, probably healthier than he is now, but I do think they just have to be a very good passing attack given how good they are elsewhere on their roster. T Mitchell 79 asks, did too many teams who are clearly not contenders hold on to players that will essentially be free agents next season? Anyway, if I were a fan of those teams, I would be even more concerned after today. Yes, I think so. I think there's plenty of teams who had players who probably should have gone somewhere. And you know, maybe there wasn't a market. Maybe teams didn't want to give up more than a, a late round swap of picks. Maybe they didn't want to take on money, but man, there are a lot of teams that I, I don't think have very high hopes or shouldn't have aspirations for the rest of the year. Look at the Jets where, of course, they have a winning record. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think this is a great football team. But even if you think they are a good football team, they have Dalvin Cook as their third string running back. They have Carl Lawson as their fifth edge rusher. Those guys are making decent money. Lawson's contract's very tradable. Cook's not so much. But those guys could have been on the move somewhere to get the Jets back some of the draft capital they gave up for Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings probably not winning the division with Jaron Hall and Josh Dobbs as their quarterback. They could have moved to Neil Hunter for a significant draft pick. I know the the, the Giants uh, got a second-round pick for Leonard Williams from the Seahawks the day before the deadline. Certainly figure that could have been what the Vikings got for Hunter as part of their deal. The Panthers have, uh, you know, Brian Burns. They have their stars. Also, some secondary players they could have moved on from. They chose not to do that. The Cardinals, I mentioned earlier. Um, the Raiders. Hey, the Raiders fired. Uh, they fired Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and benched Jimmy Garoppolo shortly after the trade deadline ended. Sure feels like they could have moved on from some of those players. And, and got in some draft picks to help start their rebuild for guys who are going to get cut. You know, they're not going to need Marcus Peters where they're going. They're not going to need Garoppolo where they're going. Maybe they could have eaten a bunch of Garoppolo's money to try and get a deal done. I know Devontae Adams was frustrated. I have to think that he's going to be traded after the year. Hunter Renfro is going to be a, a, a cut candidate. There's money involved here. You might have to eat some of it to get a deal done, but Raiders could have saved money, carried over some new cap space, and got rid of some players who are going to be moving on after the year anyway. So yes, some of those teams are, are, are holding on to players because they are going to net comp picks, but the bad teams typically do not get comp picks. And I'll just go to this next question here from Michael Wong. You asked if the 49ers were assured a compensatory pick if Young walks after this year. And they're not assured of anything, but the way comp picks work, 
which I think is lost to some people. I think you just sort of, there's like a big comp pick bucket that players go into and it's just seen as, you know, uh, a comp pick generator. The, only a certain number of players qualify for comp picks every year. There's a cutoff. Um, it, it's determined by how much you are paid in your free agent deal on an annual basis relative to the rest of the free agent market. And this is the crucial part. You can have your comp picks canceled out if you spend money on unrestricted free agents yourself. Now they don't, you are not, uh, the comp pick formula is not penalized if you do go out and sign players who were cut by their prior team. So trying to think of a good example of a player who was released and then signed somewhere else this offseason. Someone to come to mind as I, I, I ramble on, but um, you know, like, like this is not a a cut and dry situation. You have players who, even if they're a veteran who you picked up a a, a significant comp pick for, that pick can be canceled out by you going out and signing players elsewhere to replace those guys. So, thinking about possible uh, examples of this, somebody like Orlando Brown with the Chiefs. The Chiefs lost Orlando Brown to the Bengals in free agency. They would have netted a third round compensatory pick, but because they signed Jawan Taylor to a $20 million a year deal, that cancels out that comp pick. The Chiefs will not get a comp pick for Orlando Brown. Um, Eagles, of course, lost a ton of players. They didn't sign anybody who was a uh, unrestricted free agent who had not been cut by his original team or did not sign a player who would qualify by his salary for the compensatory pick formula. They <laughs> qualified to get as many as nine comp picks, which is just absurd. I don't know if they're actually going to get that many. Um, but somebody like... Dalvin Tomlinson with the Vikings, where they signed Marcus Davenport to replace him. That cancels out that comp pick. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where if you are a team that's a, a veteran roster where you don't typically spend a lot of money in free agency, you're going to get comp picks when your players leave. That fits the Niners, who do spend money in free agency, but sort of fits the Niners in their situation a lot more than it does the Bears, who have a ton of cap space, who have many holes in their roster, and who rightfully, I think we all agree, should be spending money in free agency to add talent to their roster. So the Niners are not guaranteed, but are likely to get some sort of comp pick for Young. The Bears, if they were to let Sweat go, would probably not get a comp pick in return. Illpod asks, what's the ideal trade deadline and why hasn't the NFL normally very savvy about its calendar? not pushed it back to create more hype like the other sports? It's a good question. I, I think the league has changed. Um, trades were not really as common of a thing in years past. Um, I think we've seen teams get more aggressive making trades. I think GMs are more active. You have more access to tape. Um, schemes are, are you know more similar than they have been in years past. There's more crossover. Schemes, are, I think, are a little simpler because you have so many players changing rosters. So maybe it would have been difficult for those players to learn new schemes in midseason, and that's not as much the case anymore. I do think this is probably about the right time because you want to trade for players and have them make a significant impact on the season. You know, if you have a guy like Christian McCaffrey, you want to give him a week or two to, uh, you know, get acclimated to the roster, learn the 
playbook and then you know sort of let him go and see what he can do and i think that made a big difference Niners having him for half the season as opposed to you know trading from week 13 and only getting five weeks of him ended up being something that really dramatically changed their season so if you wanted to say week nine i'd be fine with that i don't think that's a big difference maybe even week 10 but i think that eight to nine range is what i would recommend for uh the trade deadline as the nfl has it right now NFL, by the way, can create plenty of hype. This is a trade deadline where the most notable player traded was a commander's defensive end. And the NFL has got plenty of attention for their trades. JD Fiamono, sorry if I mispronounced your name, JD. You say, trade meta question. Why am I crazy to think that these the prices these players are going for are cheap AF? I don't know what AF, okay, I do know what AF means. I'm just being silly. Um, why are these prices cheap? because you're mostly getting guys who are free agents. So you're trading for a player like a Montez Sweat who is at the end of his deal. You're basically getting a guy who is about to be a free agent. So you're getting him for half a year. You're paying him a meaningful amount of money. Montez Sweat uh, is has an $11.5 million fifth-year option. He's going to get a prorated amount of that, which doing the math on the calculator app by computer, $6.4 million over the remainder of the season. There's not a lot of demand for those guys. The reality is there are teams who don't have $6.4 million lying around. Um, it is a real mess for some teams. They're just not not capped out, but they're cashed out. They don't have $6 million uh, for their ownership to, to approve a new player. So you're seeing other players go for later round picks. I think Joshua Dobbs, probably a little lower than I expected, but when you have a guy who doesn't have much of a market, you're going to see them go for a swap of late round picks. That's really what you have. For someone like Kevin Byard, who, you know, Tennessee was probably going to cut after the season, but you don't have a big market for veteran safeties making a lot of money, you're going to not get too much of a return. So when you have owners who are aggressive, who want to spend money, and GMs who are saving money maybe to get players in this time of the year, they're going to get better deals because you're only getting half a season on them as opposed to a full year, and you're probably paying. A meaningful amount of salary in the process. Ross DeBello says, thoughts on Cleveland's quarterback room decisions from letting Brissett walk until this trade deadline. Well, they have a very curious problem at quarterback. I think they expected Sean Watson to be healthy and effective this year. I don't know uh, if they would have had a better option at backup. Jacoby Brissett was leaving for someone. He ended up going to the commanders. I think Jacoby Reset felt like he had a better chance to become the starter uh, in Washington, which he has not been able to achieve so far uh, in, in his spot. I think that we saw, um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater on the market for several months. Sure, do you think that Teddy Bridgewater is a good quarterback and a guy who could have been, you know, a very solid backup for the Browns, but we saw the Browns wanted to have developmental guys behind him. They drafted Dorian Thompson Robinson, who looked great in preseason. They picked up PJ Walker, who's not very expensive, who's mobile, who adds an element that Sean Watson, I guess he has, but maybe not as mobile as he once was before two ACL tears. Um, you know, they, I think they wanted a different kind of backup quarterback. Now, should they have traded for Jacoby Brissett? I think in a vacuum, yes. But according to published reports or tweets I saw, the commanders were asking for a day two pick for Jacoby Brissett, which is a lot of money and a lot of draft capital to give up for a guy who is going to be a free agent, 
who plays a position where you already have $230 million fully guaranteed invested in a quarterback and a player you're not going to play deep into the postseason. So I think the Browns and other teams probably said Jacoby Brissett's a good player. We'd love to have him, but we can use our draft picks elsewhere and we can let Jacoby Brissett uh, see if another team wants to pay what the commanders are charging for Jacoby Brissett, which they did not. So Brissett stayed in Washington. Still do think we'll see him before the end of the year, given Sam Howell's up and down play so far this season. Thomas Fortune says, hi, Bill, please explain what the Falcons are at. Why were they not in for a pass rusher? The cost for the Washington pair seemed reasonable to me. Well, they did go out and trade for Contavious Street as a replacement for the injured Grady Jarrett, who sadly tore his ACL in the loss to the uh, Titans last week. Perhaps Arthur Smith was busy figuring out how he was going to deflect questions from reporters as they asked why the same guy who said nobody knows how to watch film and there's a toxic groupthink going on about uh, Desmond Ritter decided to bench that same player for Taylor Heineke a week later. Um, not not the most impressive couple of weeks I've ever seen from a head coach with his dealings with the media and his dealings with quarterbacks. But I think the Falcons sort of think they're going to get by with the, the guys they have. This team does have pieces up front without Grady Jarrett. They still have Calais Campbell, still have David Onyemata. Um, they, Bud Dupree's been okay, they could blitz Caden Ellis more. Caden Ellis had some sacks as an edge rusher for the Saints last year. He's been mostly playing inside linebacker for them this year, but this defense has been good with with Grady Jarrett on the field, and I don't think they were going to find a Grady Jarrett replacement. So I think they just felt like, you know, there was not good value out there. I don't think a lot of teams want to give up pass rushers right now because they are so valuable, and there will be um, some free agents who hit the market on the defensive line in the months to come. And certainly think that the Falcons could go after one of those guys. David McIntyre says, should the Raiders have traded anyone before the deadline and did McDaniels and Ziegler get fired because of their inaction? Don't know if they got fired because of their inaction. I don't believe that's the case. I guess you never know, um, but I don't think that's why. Talked about this a little bit earlier. Certainly think you could have found deals for Adams, Garoppolo, maybe Josh Jacobs if you're willing to eat some of the money. Um, but a deal for like a Max Crosby, which I think is inevitable given that he's so good and pretty reasonably priced and you have a, just a bereft roster of young talent. I wouldn't be shocked if Max Crosby was sacrificed for multiple first round picks by the next regime to get that deal done. Tough to do that, you know, a day after your season uh, seemingly comes to an end and um, a day before the trade deadline, just tough to negotiate that kind of deal on short notice. And then Arpon NBC finishes up by asking, do you think the Broncos believe they can go on a run? It's got to be with the lack of trades. And well, the Broncos were rumored to be considering trades for many of their defensive players. And yet we're sitting here. It's uh, week eight. They're week nine. They're on by. They've just beaten the Packers and the Chiefs in consecutive games. The Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs by 15 points at home. They finished a four a three-week stretch where they've allowed 19 points to the Chiefs, 17 points to the Packers, and nine points to the Chiefs. The defense has looked shockingly good the last three weeks. I do think Sean Payton changed his mind. I look at their their situation this year. They've held halftime leads in losses to the Raiders, the Commanders, 
the Jets, and I believe, yeah, certainly the Jets, they were up 13-8 at halftime against the Jets before the Jets ran away in the second half. This is a team that has been, depending on how you look at it, better than their record in some ways. I don't think they're going to force five takeaways a week the way they did last week against the Chiefs. They have the Bills coming up. But after that, the Vikings, who are going to have a backup quarterback, the Browns, who could have a backup quarterback, the Texans, who, um, you know, are a good team, but not a team that the Broncos can't beat. Gets tougher, Chargers, Lions, and then Patriots, Chargers, Raiders. Patriots, Raiders aren't exactly scary to finish the season, but... I, I think if you're Sean Payton and you think you are going to win, this is one of the older rosters in football. Um, you know, Bill's probably a tough one, but could they get hot in the second half and be competitive for the six or seven seed in the AFC? Yeah. I mean, I think they believe that enough to not sell off some of the pieces on their roster, not make a Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton trade, not trade any of their defenders. But same time, something else to keep in mind. If you think the Broncos defense stinks, and I know a lot of people do think the Broncos defense stinks, even with them being good the past three weeks, you're not going to get a lot for your players. Nobody wants to get um, an edge rusher from the team that allowed 70 points to the Dolphins. I know the Niners did get Randy Gregory, but they paid basically nothing for Randy Gregory to join their roster. So you're not going to like convince people that this defense stinks and you need to trade people and get meaningful returns for those guys. I think people are not naive to that reality. What I find interesting, and I'll finish up with this, no one asked about this, but I, I'm finding this fascinating. Probably will write about it at some point in the next couple of weeks. Who is going to be the seventh seed in the NFC? It's crazy to me to think that we're going to have a playoff team that I think will get laughed at right now as we sit here with uh, 10 weeks to go. But think about the NFC. Right now, the Eagles and the Cowboys are favorites to make it to the postseason. No issues there. The Lions are the favorites to win the NFC North. No issue there. Somebody, not thrilled about it, but somebody is going to win the NFC South. That's a guaranteed playoff spot. And then the Seahawks and Niners in position to take playoff spots from the NFC West. So six teams, Eagles, Cowboys, Lions, we'll say Falcons in the NFC South because they're the they're first team right now, Seahawks and Niners. That is a total of six teams. Seven teams make it now to the postseason. So who's going to make it? The Commanders just traded away their two best edge rushers, appeared to be giving up or at least not being too concerned about competing on the season. The Giants are a mess at two and six. The Vikings just lost Kirk Cousins for the entire year. The Packers are two and five and traded away Rasul Douglas and don't appear to be close to contending. The Bears are two and six. They just added Montez Sweat. Maybe they'll ride that to a playoff spot. Um, the NFC West is the Rams, who are three and five, and Matthew Stafford appears to be banged up with a thumb injury. He got catching a Philly special touchdown. The Cardinals are basically tanking at one and seven. That leaves us with the NFC South, and the Saints are tied for first place at four and four. The Bucks are a game back at three and four. Carolina way out at one and six. Like the commander between the Commanders, Giants, Vikings, Packers, Bears. Saints, Bucks, Panthers, Rams, and Cardinals. One of those teams has to make the postseason, maybe more if another team collapses from that top six. And I, I just, that is going to be an ugly game. That seventh team traveling to play probably the Lions or the Niners in the wild card round is not going to be pretty for whoever has to make that move. So hoping one of these teams separates, but right now the NFC is basically a six-team race with seven open spots.
So hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I know a lot of me will have a guest back next week, but wanted to hit the trade deadline and wanted to hit some of your questions. So hope you guys enjoyed this mid-season trade deadline mailbag and more audio with me and other people coming next week.